Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. What's good, everybody? It's Sky once again for Beneath the Frozen Sea, the DavyJonesLockerRoom.com podcast covering the Seattle Kraken and the NHL. And today, we're going on a road trip. Rather, the Kraken are there going to be facing all sorts of Eastern Conference foes coming into the next couple of weeks. It starts tomorrow on Tuesday as they face the Buffalo Sabres, and frankly, I think that's going to be a little bit of a harder task than you might think. Despite the win-loss record, the Buffalo Sabres are in fact on a two-game win streak and are 5-4-1 in their last 10. A big part of why is that Tage Thompson is back on that roster, and he is good. Further, they're starting to actually get saves. Ukopeka Lukanen has actually come back from the dead as a viable starter candidate. After a hell of a win over the Pittsburgh Penguins, he stopped 40 shots in a 3-1 victory. The Sabres are tougher than people give them credit for. They are one of those teams that has a tremendous amount of firepower. It's all about trying to get that to execute properly. And they've had very little luck at that right now, but I think that it's starting to look better. I don't know if this means they're going to actually like win anything or make the playoffs, but this is an issue they had last year and now they look like they're going to be a little more entertaining. That said, all you have to do is start seriously testing that defense, and there's a win somewhere if you really force them to start skating on their back foot. It might be a track meet, but if any team right now can keep up with them, it's the Kraken. We just have to hope that the recent improvement on defense by the Kraken holds strong, and that's a pretty easy two points. After that, the Kraken go to DC to take on an aging Capitals and their erstwhile goal-scoring captain, Alex Ovechkin. Which is good, because if he was still trying to be the Ageless Wonder, he would probably make this a much more difficult game than it needs to be. As it stands, he is having a hell of a time trying to score goals. His shooting percentage is in the tank. It's sitting around 6%, where his career average is more along the lines of 12. And the offense of the Caps has suffered quite a bit because of it. They really went all in on making sure all of Ovi's friends got to stick around after their cup victory, and a lot of these guys are starting to get old and regress. And one of the few positives that they had was that Max Pacioretty came back, and he's pretty old himself. I don't like thinking too much about the Caps these days because 
It's an uncomfortable feeling watching a guy that I just expected to score 30 to 50 goals until he retired struggle this much, look this behind. It's it's weird. It's a, a sign that... I guess it's the moment where you start to recognize that you're getting old when all of the names that you remember from your childhood, all the names that you remember from the last 20 years start to matriculate out of the league. They all start to get salt and pepper hair, and they start to give up space to guys like Connor Bedard and Matvey Michkov when he is finally smuggled across the border, and guys like Matty Beneers. And I like the new things. I love new things. It's just sobering to kind of go through that and recognize that you're not nearly as spry as you used to be. Otherwise, the Kraken just need to keep up what they're doing, and especially Marco Vechkin, because it feels like that entire power play has been designed to just feed him opportunities. As long as they keep up the good effort, they'll get two points. And if you think the schedule lightens up after that, well, you're right, because they're going to be playing the Columbus Blue Jackets on Saturday. And I gotta say, I have nothing nothing but respect for the people over at our four hockey fans brethren at the jackets cannon the folks who cover the columbus blue jackets for our network because you think you think you've seen some bad hockey before i'm sure you look on that inaugural season with a lot of negative feelings i bet you remember some of those goofy groove hour losses and go god that has to be the worst possible way that any team could possibly look you, my friend, have not seen what the Columbus Blue Jackets are inflicting on their fan base, on their enthusiasts, on their team, and on their management. It is not just that they are a bad team. It is that they are an inept team. And there is a big difference. A bad team can still surprise you. A bad team can still put in an effort that is maybe not perfect, but will get you somewhere. You can look at their effort, look at their play, and say, okay, I recognize what they're trying to do, they just do not know how to execute it properly in a way that creates consistent winning. You could say that the Kraken's inaugural season, or Montreal, or current-day Anaheim Ducks, all fit this mold. The Columbus Blue Jackets do not have a goddamn clue what they're doing. And that's insane because the talent is there. The talent is coming. This is a team that has the young players that could be dangerous at some point in the Metropolitan Division, and they keep screwing things up. I don't know how you come away with Johnny Gaudreau in the offseason and somehow come out a loser in your own division. I don't know how you end up last in your division with Adam Fantilli. I don't know how they have this problem with guys like Kirill Marchenko, Yegor Chiganetkov, Justin Danforth, Patrick freaking Line. And I'm not even a huge fan of Line's, but with these tools, you should be able to at least threaten for a playoff spot, right? And then you look at their goaltending, and then you look at their coaching, and then you look at their defense pairings, and you come to the horrible realization there was never a chance for this to be good. All of these great young talents are being wasted by an organization that doesn't seem to have a clear-cut idea of what it actually wants to be, and that's gotta sting. I don't know how anyone over at the Jackets Cannon is, is putting up with this. I would be inconsolably furious. I don't know how every po- I don't know how every Jackets-focused podcast isn't just 45 minutes of agonized screaming. Because this 
shouldn't be happening. Why do you choose to be like this? Why do you choose to pick up an absolute maniac and then have surprised Pikachu face when the absolute maniac of a coach turns out to be an absolute maniac? Why are we trying all sorts of different ways to make Patrick Line work when the one thing he's good at, shooting, should be the only thing he has to worry about? I don't know, man. This team's a mess. This feels like a little bit of a trap game, but otherwise, if the Kraken just show up and don't absolutely piss themselves, they'll be fine. Really, that's the focus of this next two weeks, this road trip, is that it's not nearly as hard as you think it is, and you could come out of this week with six points, and that's huge, because next week is where it gets tough. After their game in Columbus, the Kraken make their way to Pittsburgh, a team that has rapidly shot up the standings since the last time we saw them, all the way up from, checking my notes now, all the way to 7th in the Metropolitan. But the devil's in the details here. The Pens have 42 points, and the cutoff to get in as of right now is 44. They are at the very least two big wins out of a playoff spot, and they are the only team in the Eastern Conference that is currently not in the playoffs with a positive goal differential. One negative is that they're not consistent about that at all. They beat the Bruins and then almost immediately turned around and lost 3-1 to the Sabres. And I'll be honest, the Pens are also on a little bit of a road trip themselves. They gotta play the Flyers, they gotta play the Vancouver Canucks, and they gotta play the Carolina Hurricanes. All difficult propositions as of right now. So they could either be rolling or they could be really hurting. Their big thing is that they play track meet games. They do not have very good goaltending and frankly their defense is nothing to write home about and it doesn't look like they're gonna have a hell of a lot of help coming along the way. That skater core is still pretty good though. Maybe not perfect but it's still miles better than last year. Jake Ensel decided it was his time to be the Mark Donk. Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin are still looking pretty good. Eric Carlson is limited, but he's still alright. Brian Rust has become a reasonable player. Riley Smith has once again shown that he's a very boomer bust player, but so far he's booming. This is going to be a tougher matchup than you might think. If they got to play another track meet game, this is the game I feel like they could possibly slip up on. So long as they keep the pressure up, they should be able to crack this nut. And that would be great because in this hypothetical best case scenario, they would have had a bunch of points leading into their next game against the New York Rangers. I am going to be real with you, I think this is the one they lose. And that's not an indictment on the Kraken, that's just how New York is playing right now. I am not even a huge fan of their system or even the fact that they almost barely have the puck. They just have an overwhelming amount of finishing talent. They skate at 100 miles an hour every game, they take about 8 shots a period, and all of them are phenomenally high danger. Even if they don't look it, that's just kind of what life is like when you've got Panarin, Coco, Kreider, all those great skaters that they have. If the Kraken ever want to win this one, they're going to need Joey Decord to just put up another 970. And for God's sake, score the first two goals, because you're probably going to need those as insurance, if nothing else. And then we get to the most important game of this entire road trip. Before the Kraken come home to face the Leafs, they must make their way to Edmonton, Alberta, Canada to face the Edmonton Oilers, a team 
who has been right at the heels of the Kraken this entire time. The Kraken and the Oilers roughly began a heater at the exact same time. Both teams' rough change that got them on this is that they have better goaltending, or at the very least goaltending that's producing results. And as of this recording, the Kraken and the Oilers are tied in points at 41. One is 7-3-0, the other is 8-0-2. Both are fighting for the same spot in the wild card. I do not think I need to explain to you why the Kraken need to win this game. It is vital for them to pick up any points against Pacific Division foes, but especially against the Oilers, against the Flames, against anybody who could possibly get in the way of the Kraken getting to the wild card. And it's going to be a tough game. Connor McDavid has finally woken up. Leon Dreisaitl's finally woken up. Zach Hyman is on a tear. This is a team that is going to test the limits of what the Kraken are capable of. Do I think they can beat them? Absolutely. I don't think the Oilers are very good in net. Do I think it's going to be hard? Absolutely. The Oilers were one of the best teams in puck possession over the first couple months of the season, and that hasn't changed going into this current winning streak. They usually get some of the most dangerous shots in the entire league. They get a ton of shot attempts off. They get a lot of unblocked shot attempts off. They are league leaders in expected goals. They are some of the highest danger players in the game right now. Everything's got to be working. Defense has to be on point. Joey Decord has to be on point. And the offense has to be kicking. Because that Edmonton defense is still kind of the same. They're just getting the goal scoring that they needed in order for it to not matter. Hell of a way for your road trip to end with having to get two points from a divisional rival. Still should make for a pretty good game in my opinion. And that is your entire road trip previewed. It's going to be a good one. I really hope they keep up the good momentum that they have been building. These are some important points coming up and they need to take as many as they can get their hands on. Especially since the first part of it is lots of easier games. You can absolutely take these points and bank them into creating a little bubble so that you have a little bit of shielding against the rest of the Pacific Division, which is surging? Uh, maybe not surging. At the very least, let's just call it security against the rest of the conference. After all, who wants to be the first team to lose out on a playoff spot to Arizona, I ask you. And if there's anyone that they can count on for a little bit of help getting that going, they can turn to an all-star. On Friday, the NHL released their initial group of first ballot all-stars for the year. One player from every team gets to go, and the Kraken's representative is Oliver Bjorkstrand. This is his first nod for the all-star game, and frankly, it is one he earned. For a good long time, the Maestro was the points leader for the Seattle Kraken as they were going through their rough patch. He is the current expected goals for leader for the Seattle Kraken at 54.63%. That's pretty darn good. Means he's creating some dangerous opportunities for the team just about every game. And the funniest part of it all 
is that he doesn't want to go. <laughs> I know most people are abandoning the sinking ship of rats known as Twitter, but the Kraken Twitter account put out a video of Dave Haxtall giving the news to Oliver Bjorkstrand himself, and before the news was given out, it looks like that Oliver Bjorkstrand was going to spend the week in sunny San Diego at an Airbnb. Instead, you gotta go to Toronto, buddy. Oh man, that's rough. I really do feel for him. He does deserve this honor. He has played an absolutely phenomenal season so far, but I definitely recognize why he's a little confused. You'd think that someone like Vince Dunn or Matty Beneers would probably get this kind of honor, especially given that the team is trying to build around those kind of players. But it's not really shocking because the Kraken have shown that they have antipathy for this event. We need only go back to last year when Matty Beneers got injured and he couldn't go, and the entire team opted to say, eh, we'll either go to Baja or to Brandon Tanev's cabin, we're good, and they just didn't send anybody to the All-Star game. And really, why the hell would you? All-Star games in general are a relic of a past in which not everybody got to see the best players in the game, but now we are in a time where you are inundated with how star players are doing at every given moment. The schedule isn't all divisional. Everybody sees everybody else at least once, in their home building. And frankly, the players don't care. There is nothing incentivizing them to actually give a crap about what's going on at the All-Star game. I mean, it's funny when everybody's three sheets to the wind in Vegas trying to build a team together, but it underlies a bigger problem. The All-Star game doesn't really matter to fans, and the All-Star game super doesn't matter to the players. And I really don't know how you fix that. They've tried gimmicks. Gimmicks don't help. They've tried hosting it in Vegas every year. People got mad about that, and even then, the players didn't care. I think in order for us to actually make the All-Star game matter, there either needs to be some form of monetary compensation involved, or I think we need to start thinking about whether or not we actually need an All-Star game. Maybe we can still have the All-Star skills competition, but maybe we don't need an actual all-star game. I mean, I might consider watching it, but if I, someone who will watch absolutely any kind of hockey if it's good enough, am not thinking about watching the all-star game, I can't imagine that the average fan is much more interested than I am. That said, we will have a game thread for the all-star game festivities on DavyJonesLockerRoom.com, so if you want to shoot the shit with fans, go on ahead and jump over there. And of course, congratulations to Ali Bjorkstrand, on his All-Star Game debut. Sorry about San Diego, man. I'm sure he'll get there in the offseason. In prospect news, the World Juniors have come to an end and the United States of America are your world champions in under 20 teenage hockey. I always knew this country could do this, and I am so glad we were able to do it now. A small minority of prospects meddled for the Kraken this year. Eddie Chalet was the one who probably worked the hardest for it. He was part of that exceptional Czechia team that met Finland in the bronze medal game and absolutely dump-trucked them in a phenomenal game. It was back and forth, literally back and forth. The game ended 8-5, to five, and four of those goals happened in the final two minutes of the game. It was a heartbreaking loss for Finland, but you know, Czechia showed up ready to play, and given that they were riding the battle high of facing Canada and beating them in order to knock them out of medal contention altogether, it probably didn't matter exactly where they ended up. 
because they showed up ready to play. Welcome, well done to Chalet and to Team Czechia for the bronze medal. Next up would be Finland with Yanni Neiman and Nicholas Coco. Uh, they did not medal as they were on the other side of this absolute drubbing. And we gotta have a discussion about Nicholas Coco's bad World Juniors. He had a bad World Juniors. He was below 900 the entire time as a goaltender. He was directly responsible for Finland giving up games to both Canada and Germany. And the goals he gave up were just bad. They, there's really nothing else I can say to describe them. They were, you cannot give up those kind of goals kind of bad. I hope that when he's back over with Karpat that he rebounds a little bit. But otherwise, man, this kid is really starting to concern me. Unfortunately, that also means that he's perfect for this organization because he sort of lives up to the mercurial nature of Seattle goaltending. Can't wait to see how he does in Coachella Valley. His skater compatriot Yanni Neiman, on the other hand, actually had a pretty solid tournament. And Lord knows they needed a solid tournament out of him because they were not getting a lot of offense out of this team that I thought was going to have a lot more high-octane finish to their game. And man, it just never materialized. He had six points. Uh, that doesn't sound like a lot, but in these small tournaments, any point can be a good point. So yeah, he was a contributor on a team that didn't have a terrible number of contributors. So I'm going to consider that a win on his part. Sure, he will do a lot better once he makes his way back over to Ilves, a team in the Finnish Liga. It was a rough tournament for Finland, but they'll be back. They always are. Speaking of rough tournaments... The overwhelming majority of Kraken prospects were playing for Team Canada, or they should have been the entire time, except Canada thought they were too good for Jagger Furcus. And look where they are now, eliminated in the quarterfinals by Czechia. They looked like ass the entire tournament. They only barely scraped by. And here you are, medalless absolutely medalless. What did the WHL do to Hockey Canada to actively to receive these kinds of absolutely to get snubbed like this? Jagger Furcus was not on this team. He was called up to it, but he never played. Riley Height was never a consideration. Zach Funk, a name that I swear to God I didn't just make up, he plays with Riley Height, is was never a consideration. What on earth is going on over at Hockey Canada? Scratch that, I know the answer. It's mostly putting out a bunch of fires from a bunch of terrible, terrible decisions made by the people who chaperone this game. You'd, I'd say you didn't deserve it, but you 1000% did. Because you've had to put out all of these fires, you decided that you had to play the right way and guess what? Czechia showed up ready to play with the best players they had on hand, and they beat you. The same way the US would beat you, the same way that Sweden would beat you, and did beat you. So you know what? Glad you didn't meddle. Hopefully you get your head out of your ass. You finally come to Jesus on a number of the problems that you actually have organizationally, not just from the, uh, we have done actually bad things that probably deserve a criminal investigation, but also from the perspective of actually trying to cultivate that game up there in Canada. Anyway, Carson Rakoff 
and Ty Nelson had okay tournaments, but again, they could have had much better and longer ones had they had Jagger Furcus with them. And finally, Zeb Forsvjall, who had a very, very mediocre tournament, but he went the farthest distance of any of the prospects. He was part of Team Sweden, who won the silver medal against the United States. In fairness, Sweden was a juggernaut the entire tournament. They only really started to struggle once they got to the knockout round, and even then, they didn't struggle tremendously. Zeb Forsvjall only really had one assist during this entire tournament, so he didn't really factor into a lot of their game plan, and frankly, why would he? I hope that when he goes back to Skeleftio, he gives them a reason, hey, not only should I have received more minutes, I should probably be seen as a bigger prospect coming down the pipeline. Still, that's one of the highest results that Sweden has had in over a decade. Good for them, tried really hard, but the United States is just a wagon right now. It was a good tournament, had by all, and we got to see some of the best uh, players that we haven't quite drafted yet. That'll be fun to look at, you know, once the season's over. Congratulations to those who medaled. I was going to talk general NHL news. I was going to bring up William Nylander in this. He just made a bazillion dollars. I think he's getting a third of every loony printed in Canada. But buddy, during the middle of this, our division mates in Anaheim went ahead and dropped an absolute bombshell of a trade. And I have to imagine this is the only thing you've been hearing about if you are paying attention to the NHL. Cutter Gauthier is a duck. Done right in the middle of the game, Cutter Gauthier was considered the MVP of the World Juniors. He was one of the best skaters at the World Juniors this year. And he was traded for Jamie Drysdale and a second round pick to the Anaheim Ducks from the Philadelphia Flyers. Gautier, for those of you who do not remember, is a first round pick from 2022. This kid has insane upside. He was just one of the best players at the World Juniors, as I previously mentioned. And he apparently did not want to play in Philadelphia. That's it. That's the entire reason this trade happened. Reports from all over, including Elliot Friedman and Sportsnet, suggest that the Flyers had been trying to sign him for quite some time now, but either the agent had made it clear that he had no interest in signing in Philadelphia, or that Cutter Gauthier himself was blowing off the GM. And as such, the Flyers decided... All right, if you don't want to play for us, then fine, we will find you someone you can play for. Understandably, Flyers fans are not happy about this. If you'd like to go over and see how not mad everyone is, highly recommend checking out Broad Street Hockey on Twitter and at BroadStreetHockey.com. It is very funny, especially if you know your hockey history and how specifically Eric Lindros became a Flyers legend. Turnabout is still fair play, I fear. As for how this affects the Kraken, um, in the immediate future, I still think that Gautier is the kind of player that you're going to need to season a little bit. He's still playing for Boston College. On the other hand, if he makes the NHL in the next two years, that might be a problem for the Kraken because... They've got a burgeoning forward core in Anaheim. They don't really have a whole lot else going on there, but man, 
they can score when all of those young kids are clicking. And guess what? They just added another one to that list. My personal and professional recommendation for Ron Francis is to start finding finishers in the draft somewhere and also some good defensemen because, oh buddy, this is going to be a very difficult division in the upcoming years. And I might as well also bring up the William Nylander contract. He is the third player on the Toronto Maple Leafs that is making $11 million. Lol Lamau. Though frankly, if you ask me, he's the only one who's actually earned that money because he consistently shows up in the playoffs, which is not something that I could say about Mitch Marner or Austin Matthews. Anyway, you know the deal by now. The hard cap sucks and we should probably move to a soft cap like the NBA has. It's a little insane that the... It's a little interesting that uh, the guy who actually built the NBA soft cap is currently in charge of this league entirely, and uh, he's never once brought this up to the owners, or the owners don't seem terribly interested in trying it. A little annoying, definitely a little suspicious in my opinion. Anyway, congratulations to William Nylander for finally having a little walking around Target money, or even, God forbid, a little buy a small popcorn at the movies kind of money. Alright, I thought I had a couple of special interest notes. All I have is uh, PWHL's going pretty well. That's good to hear. I can't wait to see who comes out on top. It's looking like Minnesota right now, but the season is still early. Anything can happen, especially in a league with that much talent. If you like this podcast, good news, it is going to continue on, but it may continue on in a different name. Uh, we've been doing a little bit of background knowledge on the name Beneath the Frozen Sea, and it is... Apparently not doing super hot, so we're probably going to change it in the upcoming weeks. Otherwise, you can find me, SkyOnAir, at SkyOnAir underscore, on Twitter.com and on Blue Sky. You can also find Davy Jones Locker Room on Facebook, Twitter, Blue Sky, and on our own website over at DavyJonesLockerRoom.com. We post previews, recaps, and game threads of every single Seattle Kraken game and give you some of the highest caliber analysis of the team's performance that you don't even have to pay for. You You can just tip us over at our tip jar. It is on our website up at the top bar and it is in every one of our articles at the bottom before the comments. Anyway, by the time you read this, it will be game day against the Buffalo Sabres. It's going to be a good game. It's going to start off this road trip and I hope that the Kraken come away with two points. Thank you very much for listening, and as always, go Squids! Squids!